Hey everybody, this is Nate. And this is Justin. From Pertnier Sandstone. And you're listening to Road to Blue Ox. Hey Justin, how's it going? Oh hey Nate, just uh, here hanging out, thinking about Blue Ox. What about you? Exactly the same. I'm looking at the lineup, trying to decide who we want to feature this episode for musical artists. You know, Nate, there are heavy hearts here in Minneapolis and St. Paul as well. It would be remiss of us to not at least mention on this episode the recent passing of Max Graham, the band leader of Kide Country. Our near and dear friend who, in his 30 years, made an incredible impression on this community and all who are involved in in music here in the Twin Cities and in the region. An incredible loss for us all. We've been really hurting and really in shock. I just, it's still, it still hasn't really sunk in and it's a lot of heavy hearts up here and we want to make sure that we send our love out to his family and, uh, and let you all know that we are going to be doing an entire episode devoted to the memory of Max in the near future. So look forward to that. Again, we express our condolences and everybody out there who knew him know how big of a presence and how wonderful of a guy he was super inclusive and always a good cheerleader for everybody and we really are going to miss him in this community it's like you think ahead 10 years 20 years from now he would have been here the whole time if not elsewhere but always here with us in this community and i guess he still will it's just a real shock and really hard to imagine the musical life in this city going on without him but oh man what a couple of weeks it's been Yeah, I think everyone's still a little bit numb from it. It will continue to be felt, you know, as concerts start up, as festivals start occurring again, there's going to be a a void. You know, he was such a force in our community and at festivals of joy and kindness. You know, the kind country band name always struck me as very suiting to he and his bandmates. They're just such a bunch of great dudes. And Max was just laughter and friendship and just to get sappy. He was just a really good dude. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get much sappier when we put together that episode if we're able to. But I think we can muster the strength to do it for him. Mm-hmm. So look forward to that. And there's also a virtual festival where people are playing tribute to Max. Just be kind is is nine days of bands putting music out there in support of Max Graham's family, all archived on Facebook, so you can see the lineup. And I checked out Dave Simonette and Ryan Young set yesterday. The lowest pair. I've been catching them here and there, or going back to find them. Just tons of bands and tons of music paying tribute and sending their love to the Graham family. So make sure you check all that stuff out, too. I want to mention also the fundraising that's happening for the Graham family. There's a GoFundMe page that we'll link in the bio. Helpthegrams.com. It's been really awesome to watch that GoFundMe just go through the roof. I couldn't believe the first day that Chris posted it. He reached the goal in less than 24 hours. And I mean, it was just testament to how much people care and how much he meant to the people in this community. Definitely encourage you to check that out. We need to help that family as much as we can right now. 
there's a sadness in the air, but also Max was such a great person that I feel for myself celebrating his life has really helped to heal. And, you know, as soon as we're able, people are going to be coming together with that much more urgency and compassion. And Max definitely has helped make the world a better place. Kind Country playing the title track from their 2019 release, Hard Times. Man, I'm really going to miss that guy. He's gone, but won't be forgotten. We have a lot going on in the Blue Ox world as we try and figure out what the Eau Claire, Wisconsin Health Department is going to allow us to do. Obviously, the vaccine rollout is increasing our chances of having the festival. And at this point, everything is still a go. You know, I would definitely steer people toward the website blueoxmusicfestival.com to check out all the information in the lineup. It's just always fun to go just click through the lineup, I think. (laughs) It is. Just go check out and say, oh man, that's right. They're coming. Oh yeah, she's coming. Oh yeah, what time is that set? And you can figure out all that stuff at blueoxmusicfestival.com and, you know, get your your heart beating a little bit. Get that little excitement bubble inside you. Uh, We've been having weekly meetings with the whole team, and that's also been very uplifting and and, uh, encouraging as well. Yeah, there's new stuff every week. We have a ticket price increase happening March 25th, so try to get a hold of your tickets before then. There's some news about the backstage tickets, which is the glamping option uh, that was available last year at the festival. There will be some news soon about what the options are this year for that. If anyone is looking for a little more comfort while partaking in the camping festivities. It was also announced this recently that the Potluck String Band is going to be back doing their Potluck Pick and Place. Basically, just bring your instrument and meet up with anybody, all talent levels and musicians from around the campground. The genuinely good, inclusive, and welcoming people, the Potluck String Band, are great hosts of that section of the festival. And we're excited to have them back. I mean, honestly, if you want to just go and hang out and listen to good tunes and just join the pick if you want. If not, sit back, relax, and listen to some tunes around the campfire. It's a really good time, and I highly recommend people go check them out when they're there. Yeah, they're very hospitable. There's a great campfire ring right there with benches that Blue Ox built for accommodating people hanging around. 
And we also did the instrument workshops over there last year or in 2019. And we're intending, I think, to have it there again, maybe with some additional infrastructure, a tent or something in case of rain. I think last year the fiddle workshop had to all pile into the potluck string band tent where they were frying up bacon and whatnot. (laughs) (laughs) So you might stay a little more dry if we do get weather this coming August. But I mean, the whole idea of that really embodies what we love about festivals and what our history as a band is really centered around the late night campfire picking. I mean, it's really where these friendships are forged and memories are are made. I mean, apart from watching your favorite artists on stage, it's about gathering with fellow festival attendees and and making music and being joyful, which we all cannot wait to do. Oh, it's going to be bliss. I get the warm fuzzies just thinking about rolling through that summer field, hanging out under the pine trees with friends and playing some good music. I got a taste of that last weekend when Chris Forsberg, a member of Kind Country, hosted a pick at his place, overlooks the Mississippi River in northeast Minneapolis. It was a gathering to, you know, remember Max and kind of help people grieve and mourn together but also it did what all picking circles do it lifted us up and and made us joyful so in other news the grammys were just this past weekend and some friends of ours cleaned up in categories that we're excited about five-time blue ox attendee billy strings took home the best bluegrass album that was awesome and so happy and stoked for him i don't know if you got to see his reaction video on instagram but it's pretty awesome is it i'll have to look for it yeah i recommend everybody going to check out billy strings reaction video on grammy day it's genuinely excited and i don't know it's very entertaining to watch but yeah big ups to billy strings sarah Jarose won best americana album so congrats to her and of course our faves gillian and dave they won for best folk album and country super group the high women won best country song crowded table yeah great song written by brandy carlisle and the rest of them such a fun group great album well pertnier once again boycotted the grammys but we cleaned up at our own awards ceremony at the Shammies in both the Shamericana and Shamgrass categories. For the 15th year straight, submit your favorite band to next year's Shammies at roadtobluox at gmail.com. All right, so this episode, we're also going to highlight music from the Henhouse Prowlers who will be making an appearance at Blue Ox this year. And they're also notable because of their work as the Bluegrass Ambassadors, a really cool program that basically takes them around the world. Whoa, something crazy just happened with you went robotic on your mic there. All right, hold on. I got it. While Justin is figuring out his audio, I will say that the Henhouse Prowlers are dropping a new album coming out on May 28th called The Departure. And we're really excited on this episode to give an exclusive to the first single track off the album. It's a song about an event that occurred in Nina, Wisconsin. Here is Short Branch Saloon.
Branch Saloon by the Henhouse Prowlers, who will be joining the Blue Ox Music Festival on Friday, August 20th, along with Tony Trishka. Man, I can't wait to see Ben and Tony tear up those two five strings together. It's going to be pretty cool. One of the artists we're most excited to be featuring at the festival is Jason Isbell in the 400 unit. We've been trying to get him there at Blue Ox for several years and really glad that it finally worked out this year with his schedule and would love to play a song by him. Do you have a favorite track or what song do you think? Oh, we should I play, have Justin? many favorite tracks of his. Once in a Lifetime, uh, Stockholm, 
Super 8 Motels. That's one a little bit older. That one's really good. His new album, The 400 Unit, is very topical as well, apropos the times. One of my favorite artists of the past 10, 20 years, of course, uh, spent a lot of time forming his musical career in the drive-by truckers before moving on into his solo work. An unparalleled songwriter, somebody who I think, you know, like great songwriters of past generations will look back on him as being a force in today's modern music era. We've been trying to get him at Blue Ox for every year that we've been a festival. So we're really stoked to have him and we're really excited for people who don't know him to get to see him live and for everybody who does know him and love him, you know, it'll be my first time seeing him and I can't I can't wait to introduce him. Maybe I'll be a a puddle of nerves when I introduce him on stage, but um I doubt it. I think I'll just more just be excited to introduce him and then walk right down in front of the stage with everybody else who's who's excited to see him. Yeah, I've never seen him before either, so I'm looking forward. We've listened to him all across the country on tours multiple times. Unwittingly, I saw the drive-by truckers at the 400 bar in Minneapolis years ago. So I have seen Jason Isbell live, and that was actually a pretty memorable show for me as well for a number of reasons that I can't really go into. (laughs) We'll let our imaginations fill in the details. Find me at Blue Ox, and I will gladly tell you about that show at the 400 bar, the drive-by truckers. But yeah, we're going to check out a tune that I think really speaks to his sort of sentimentality and his ability to write a verse. It's called If It Takes a Lifetime from his... 2015 release something more than free I've been working here Monday it'll be a year and I can't recall the day when I didn't want to disappear but I keep on showing up helping on growing up if it takes a lifetime I'm learning how to be Find happiness 
Jason Isbell. We're so excited to see him at the festival on Friday on the main stage. Hey, I also wanted to mention that Deering Banjo, who is a sponsor of the festival, will be donating two banjos to be given away to lucky recipients. Keep your eyes and ears open for how you might be the lucky winner of one of those banjos in relation to the Nora Brown workshop. Nora Brown embodies the transmission of a timeless music with a quick understanding within a young player who has covered several generations from source to performance within her few years of artistry. She has now established herself as a source, both as teacher and purveyor of an American folk music that lives through the ages, despite age and locality. It is somehow appropriate that a light rail train runs through her version of Wild Bill Jones' video recorded on a balcony in Brooklyn while playing the late John Cohen's banjo. She is the torch passed along, a newer, lost city rambler. I don't think of Nora as a young player, though she is at 15 years of age, but instead I consider her a masterful artist of this important music that will inspire continued enthusiasm to ramble into the next lost era. Well, thank you for taking the time to hang out with us today. Yeah, oh my gosh, totally. I'm so excited to, to talk. What's the scene out in Brooklyn today? Um, currently, it's very nice weather, amazing weather. Yesterday and today both have been so nice. Yeah, so we've been getting outside. It's been it's been great. Yeah, it's it's nice to have a turn of the seasons. Yeah, very nice to be able to hang out with people outside because that was kind of hard to do before. But now it's much nicer to be outside and be uh, socializing, distance but socializing. Do you ever just like sit out in a park and busk in Brooklyn, or is it? Um, I. I used to do that a lot. Um, I have not done that in a long time, uh, mostly because it's humiliating. But also, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know why I stopped really doing it. But um, yeah, I used to busk a lot in Grand Army Plaza. If you know where that is, it's like right in the front of Prospect Park, which is a big park in Brooklyn, which mm-hmm. I'm lucky to be pretty close to. So yes, yeah, so I used to do that, which was I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's better if you have a partner to do it with. That's true. 
We played in Brooklyn years and years ago. Pert Neer did, and uh, we actually busked right there at that little plaza in front of Prospect Park. So we met some good people, um, steered some people into our show that night as well. But yeah, I, I definitely can understand there there is a humility factor involved in sitting out there and, you know, you're subjected to everybody passing by and good or bad. Yeah, I mean, in the subway, it's much worse. In Prospect Park, people are... Um, I actually, I did busk recently with a larger group of people, like in November, which was very, very fun. Mostly because we kind of came as a, just a plan to just jam, and it wasn't like, we're going to busk. But then we ended up putting out a case, and people actually really enjoyed it, so that was nice. But um, yeah, if you're in the like NYC subway system and like are playing down there, people like blatantly ignore you, which is really embarrassing. But um, That's that's. That's a tough pill to swallow. Um, yeah. it, it helps you grow your, your performers. Definitely. Skin. Oh my God. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> There's worth to it, you know? And, yeah. and also, you know, you can, you can learn how to, uh, you know, mess with people too. Um, <laughs> call out the guy in the brown shirt, you know, or the, mm-hmm. the lady in the green hat, like, why didn't you look over here or something? Yeah. But, uh, Anyway, yeah. Well, we got a bunch of questions for you, maybe more than you want to answer. <laughs> no, no, totally ready. Did you know about Blue Ox Music Festival at all before you were booked for it this year? I was actually booked last year, but it did get right. pushed. But no, I did not know about it before I was booked. Do you, have you toured in the Midwest at all? I've not really been to the Midwest. This is probably the furthest I've traveled for a show. I don't know. It's hard to say, but I've traveled a lot to Kentucky and um, just kind of Southeast region for shows and for music stuff. But Mm -hmm. I haven't really gotten out West very much, even for non-music stuff. Yeah, I think I played in Colorado maybe once, uh, but I've never been to Wisconsin. We are excited to introduce you to a very warm and loving audience that we have at Blue Ox. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited. Yeah, so not only are we going to be hearing you on the main stage at Blue Ox in the Concert Bowl, but we also have you graciously doing a banjo workshop as well in the campground uh, one of the mornings. So really glad to have you involved in that. uh, That was new as of the last festival to include instrument workshops and help uh, up-and-coming musicians or, or people who just want that kind of community vibe of playing music together really glad that you're able to partake in that yeah yeah i think that workshops really can synthesize of um and kind of round out a festival as a whole i think it's great to have a variety of things for people to participate in i think that's it's awesome i'm so happy to be teaching i i've actually done a lot more teaching during quarantine because you know obviously haven't been doing shows so um I've, yeah, I've actually started to kind of like that more than I, I did before. But I mean, I can't really say that because I wasn't doing it that much. But um, mm-hmm. I've done some workshops and more like private lessons, which has been very, it's very cool. And it's a new experience for me, which I've, I've really enjoyed. So I'm, I'm glad to be doing more of that. Yeah, this summer. Well, maybe we should talk about the, how you found the banjo or how the banjo found you and maybe talk a little bit about your musical history, which... You know, from what I found online is already pretty extensive. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. Don't listen too carefully to most of it. If it's before <laughs> 2019, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't listen too carefully. But um, oh, there's some great videos out there. Though. <laughs> you playing banjo uke with your uh, your music teacher. You're kind of early. Oh mentor. yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's those actually, are really that's great. A nice video. Yeah, Shlomo was actually kind of who introduced me to old time music. Not kind of, definitely, a hundred percent. Um, yeah, and it was. I like to say that it was almost by accident. It was not a purposeful thing that my parents were like. Well, I was six, so I was obviously not making the decisions here but um it's not like they were like oh let's find an old-time teacher for nora or let's find a ukulele teacher um that specializes in old-time music so uh, it was really because um a friend of a friend like recommended this guy because uh, i said i'd wanted to learn ukulele so i ended up learning from shlomo and um he has since passed away but was my teacher for a good amount of time, but we were um, mostly learning ukulele during that time, a little bit of mandolin, um, and just started to learn banjo right before he passed away. So I, I didn't really get to learn much banjo from him, but he really, I doubt there would be a different way that I would have began to play the banjo without his introduction to old time music as a whole. Because um, yeah. on the ukulele, I was really just playing old time songs, but, you know, just the chords getting a little bit technical here, but like for the banjo, the banjo is a melody instrument in most cases. Uh, in bluegrass, it has a little bit, there's more of, there, there's a lot more chords in bluegrass, but um, in old time music, banjo is almost exclusively a melody instrument. So I, I was really learning the chords of singing songs, no real like fiddle tunes or instrumentals. So it was kind of like a ukulele-ized version of what I do today. But um, sure. that really introduced me to stuff I'm doing now. I read that he really instilled in you, you know, a sense of music as something to be shared between people, you know, shared even as a solo artist to put it out there to the world. And that's where it's meant to live. And that's really kind of where you came from as, a, as an artist yourself, a performer, and also a seeker of, you know, the tunes in this tradition and kind of curious. Um, to piggyback on on Justin's question, what led to your attraction to old time music or continuing in that direction? Yeah, well, I don't know how I, I, I can't say why I continued to play the music. I mean, I I enjoyed it, and it was a little like um, I didn't really know of anything else. I still did not think of old time music as a unique or special thing. It was just like this is lessons. This is what I do. This is what I do. I just take these lessons and I learned this music and this is music. Um, so it wasn't like I'm deciding to continue on this and not choose to do this. I mean, I obviously knew that there were genres, but I don't know. It's different than the way that I think about it now or the way that somebody might think about it if they wanted to get into old time music where they know how valuable and special this culture is. But when I was learning about it, I was like, not that I didn't think it was valuable, but more like I, just it was an everyday thing. Um, sure. And yeah, so when I continued to play it, it was just kind of, I don't know, not not necessarily instinct, but just kind of, I don't know. Sure. what. Well, it was certainly instilled at a young enough age, you know, at six years old, that's definitely a young enough age where you're picking up kind of natural instincts with it. And certainly that developed that voice that you have today, which is pretty amazing. I mean, being you're 15 years old, is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure you're the students you're teaching are there's some that are much older than you. And that's that's really cool that you are able to continue this music with such a freshness and from a youthful perspective, as well as giving new voice to an old music. Yeah, yeah. So you talk about 
you mentioned like how you viewed it then and how do you view it now in contrast? Maybe you could speak a little bit to that. Yeah. So I think now I, um, now I definitely see the uniqueness and strangeness that I would find this music in Brooklyn or just, I mean, there is actually a pretty big old time scene here, but you know, without a right introduction, you'd never know about this unless you were, I don't know, introduced by a friend or something like that. It's not something that people really know about, but um, uh, where was I going with this? Maybe you could just talk about beyond Shlomo, like who, who really influenced you and is currently influencing you, your evolution as a song, as a performer and um, who else helped bring you to where you are today? Yeah. I've had many, many, many teachers um, throughout after Shlomo passed. I went through a few different banjo teachers, just um, local musicians around Brooklyn. And I've also learned from people like uh, Mac Trainum, uh, Clifton Hicks, John Haywood. These are people who really grew up with that music. And these folks are kind of, when they teach, they're kind of teaching their own culture and they're teaching songs that they have heard for a long time or come from their area. But um, even to go further back, I've learned much from Lee Sexton and George Gibson to um, Masters of the Banjo. Lee uh, actually just passed away very, very recently. It's very, very sad. He was one of the last um, like Masters of the Banjo or Masters of Old Time Music. There's very few old folks left. We People, yeah, Clyde Davenport yeah, like and another the original sources of the, the yeah, traditional exactly. music. Yeah, I saw the video of you learning uh, Cumberland Gap with him. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's out there. It was such a great video to watch is the dichotomy of a 90 year old Kentuckian with a pretty hard southern drawl, you know, <laughs> and, and then you you just sitting there, you know trying to suss out what he's saying but then when the music starts you guys i mean it's a pretty cool to watch you just meld together and do like what old time players do pick a tune together it was really it's really cool to watch yeah lee was very very hard of hearing and my yankee accent did not help with that but i actually my, my dad is from nashville tennessee so my, my grandparents still live there and a lot of my family does so yeah i was about to say that maybe it helps me with sure. uh, hearing us people who have southern accent but I, I i don't know if i can even say that but yeah well i i, I was just thinking about the, your previous question about how i view old time music now and i was thinking that like there is a similarity between a six-year-old me learning this music and me now there's a similarity in that it feels very natural and it feels um like kind of comfort music in a way like if i hear i don't know uh, it's it's very comfortable i yeah I mean, I think that's a great way to describe it. For all the different eclectic musics that I listen to, I always fall back into old time and folk music because of that. It's like, it just feels a little more familial or the associations I have with it are just more personal or something. Like, yeah. Well, it's also, maybe it's like musical comfort food, you know? It's like... That's uh, exactly what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even like on NPR, mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. <laughs> yeah, great example. On NPR or WMRC on like Sundays, there's like a bluegrass program, I think every morning. And like, that's something that when I hear that, I don't know, I can't even really describe the feeling. Just, I don't really love to divide music into genres, but that general area of like old time bluegrass, that country stuff, I don't know, it's it's a different feeling. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it speaks to you. It speaks to us. That's, I mean, that's why we play the music that we do. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I, I, that's why it speaks to so many. It's some, there's something about it that kind of, yeah. I mean, you think about what it's rooted in, I mean, and, where, and its origins, it, it, it was primarily for family and friends to gather around and relax to or party with, you know, mm-hmm. um, but very social music. And it's, uh, it makes sense that it gives us a comforting feeling if we have good associations with those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's not surprising to hear that Brooklyn has such a, in New York, has such a vibrant old time and folk music scene. Of course, the folk revival really happened there in the late 50s and 60s. And uh, one of the groups to come out of there to really to reintroduce American old time music to the world was the new Lost City Ramblers. And they were a big influence on Pertnier Sandstone, our band. And um, one of the members, the late John Cohen, I take it you got to know or somehow you ended up with his banjo, right? Or you still have it or you were transporting it for the Smithsonian. Can you talk about maybe your relationship with him or how that came yeah, about? Yeah, John was a great friend of mine. I learned so much from John. He lived, um, I think, in just maybe a couple hours upstate of the city and I would go visit him in his house up there and I don't know exactly what to describe it not, it wasn't a farm but he had like an old barn there's a lot of little houses around his property where you different activities different things were stored there he had it's like an old barn where he had like all of his artwork and photographs and other things like that there are places there's like a little sheds that are just filled with books and like records and stuff like that and not to say that his house wasn't also full of all these things but yeah so he he's he definitely spent his whole life learning about this music. Um, I think that John is probably the definition of cultural appreciation. Yeah, he dedicated his whole life to learning about other cultures. So every time I go there, I learn something completely different. And even John, like whenever we would sit down together, he'd be like, Nora, I've been trying to figure out this one thing and pull out like an old field recording that he recorded himself somewhere (laughs) out in like deep eastern Kentucky and being like, I'm trying to figure this out on the banjo, Nora. Like, let's try to figure it out. And so he never, ever lost that curiosity he had or any of that, I don't know, just willingness to explore deeper into stuff, you know. He never got tired of any of that. So it was always amazing visiting John. Um, He had so many, he also spent a lot of time in Peru. You know, he's a man of many uh, artistic talents. Sure, Artist, photographer, and also videographer or he made lots of amazing films and also a, a lot was of he more uh, was he more like documentarian or yeah i mean he did a lot of films about eastern kentucky life a lot of them about roscoe halcombe and other folks in that area sometimes centered around an artist but sometimes just kind of about that area of america but like i said he made a lot of films in peru which are also very very cool and because this is also because you know he has this interest in music so that is prevalent like in anything that he does so in this peru films there's videos of like people singing certain songs that are related to certain things and i'm being very vague here but the point is john is definitely a man of many many talents and that was you know it's always amazing to spend time with someone like that Oh my God. Yeah. He's just a world treasure. Yeah. It's gotta, I mean, I gotta ask if you realize how fortunate you are (laughs) (laughs) just to, to be involved in, in these people who are, they're the torchbearers, people who 
that you learn from and, and just casually were hanging out at his hobby farm or whatnot, you know, like these, these people are the reason why we all play this music today. It's pretty incredible that you um, have been fortunate enough to be so close to this while they were still alive. I, I definitely feel so lucky that I was able to, I feel like now that I'm looking back at the time that I had with these people, it seems very, very short. And I'm just surprised that I got any time at all. And it's so amazing to me when I'm looking back and being like, wow, I'm so grateful that I caught these people before they were gone. So, And I'm so excited for you and about you. I love the, I love the idea of, of somebody at your age and that you're a woman, you know, it's like, it's extra special for that reason, I think, too. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, old time can tend to be dominated by, in our community at least, in terms of gender equality in the scene that is ever changing. And I'd say more and more women are involved in to a greater degree. Yeah. But I mean, if I were to generalize in the past, it's kind of an old man party, you know? Yeah, definitely male dominated industry for a long time. Yeah. And even uh, another very influential person in my uh, music life would be Alice Gerard. And she, she was definitely one of the pioneering women in bluegrass and old time. Like there were almost no, no ladies back then. I mean, I can think right. of a few, but Hazel and Alice, you most likely know of their band, but um, yes. Yep. They, yeah. Yeah. So I, Alice actually produced my record cinnamon tree. So I've, I've, I've gotten to spend some time with her. She. She's really helped me, especially in my singing and overall understanding of being a professional or learning about um, what is right to put on a record. What do you, I don't know, just overall things that a producer would do. But so she did produce Cinnamon Tree. And, and so talk about what that was like in the studio and how she did guide you and why you chose what you chose to put on the album. Yeah, um, Alice definitely... <laughs> She, she definitely guided me in a lot of things. She actually named the album, too. But okay. yeah, so that was, I remember when that happened, I was like walking home from school and my dad texted me. He was like, Nora, we need a name for the album. And I was like, okay, I'm very stuck on this. Been thinking about this for a long time. So I called Alice and <laughs> I always laugh with her about this, but she suggested uh, Banjo Picking Girl as the title. And I was like, oh my God, Alice, no, no, ew, ew. <laughs> and then she was like... What about Cinnamon Tree? And like, that was such a contrast from her earlier suggestion. I was like, what? Um, and it was because, because I messed up the lyrics on one of the songs, Shady Grove, where I, for a long time, as long as I've ever played that song, I sang, wish I was a cinnamon tree planted in the ground. Every time my true love passed, shake a simmon down, something like that. There's a lot of versions, a lot of versions of that lyric. But yep. um, it's cinnamon tree, not cinnamon tree. So... <laughs> That's why on the cover, it's a persimmon tree, and it's called cinnamon tree. <laughs> it was amazing working with her. She uh, she has this just aura about her that um, is so, like, I don't know. If it's very, like, it was it was amazing. She helped me with so, so many different songs. Like, a lot of them I was playing in kind of weird arrangements that I made up, and she helped me kind of figure out what was more of a performing version of that song and what, was, what would be better to put on a recording that would be accessible to people. Because, like, there's definitely a difference between stuff that you're, like, performing about there might be more of embellishments or something that looks better to see a person do or it might be like a lot of songs i will start the song 
in a different style and then switch to claw hammer. And there's like a dramatic effect that people do like watching, but also I sometimes I like that sound too. But she kind of helped narrow things down and yeah, it was so great. Um, yeah, that's a master to give you guidance for sure. She's a, she's a pretty great performer herself, well-recorded and highly regarded musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's your first recording that you have available, right? It's out on Bandcamp right now. It's sold out there, but uh, well, it's sold out on the the vi- on the physical copies, right? But yes, can that's true. That you digitally. can get the download code, um, which comes with a nice um, liner note booklet with download code, and it's got all the fun information on there that you get with the LP. But it's just the digital version. Are you thinking of reprinting that? There's been some talk of that, but I, I do actually have um, copies from my my personal collection, which would be stuff I would sell at shows. So people can go through my website and buy them from me. But the actual LPs are sold out on Bandcamp, but the download codes are there. That's the story. <laughs> so do you have plans uh, to follow this up with another recording? Or do you have any plans for the current or long-term future? Yeah, I, I, I recorded a bunch in like August, I think. Uh, but that is ending up taking a, a bit, but we're working on it. So there's a there's a little bit of a plan. So I recorded a bunch of stuff and it was actually recorded in a cave, what we call the caves, but um, it's, it's right below my home here in Brooklyn. My, my parents run a cheese aging business. So they have access <laughs> to these caves that were made in the 1800s for brewery brewing for beer and i don't know other things but there are there are caves that are reserved for cheese but there are also caves that there's nothing there we actually hosted a monthly concert series down there which obviously we cannot do it's a extremely tight space yeah so we recorded a bunch down there and it's definitely a tricky space to record in because of um, the shape of the room and just how much the sound bounces around, but definitely got a unique sound out of it. Uh, I recorded with oh, yeah. Big Tone Records, which Big Tone is, um, they basically uh, use this super old equipment that was basically used for when you record it on tape, and it goes directly from the machines that would do that in the old days, like big, huge machines directly through the computer. So there's no like middle space that messes with the sound. It's like very authentic, oh, interesting, old huh. um, equipment that's, yeah, very heavy and was very hard to bring down to the case, but also was, yeah, very special. So coming with using um, that equipment in these old caves that are pretty hard to record in has obviously come with some hiccups along the way, but we are working it out and uh, hopefully we'll get something out like sometime in the fall next year, hopefully. But yeah. Okay. So if people do want to, is that where you recorded your tiny desk uh, global? Um... Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So people, we should definitely steer people toward that video because then they can actually see yeah. the cool that it is. Because I, I remember clicking on that video and thinking, I need to know about this place and where she's playing right now because it looks so cool. And you're also playing John Cohen's banjo on that video as well. Yeah, I didn't really talk about that. Um, but yeah, it's a John banjo that was often played by Roscoe Halcom, which is one of my banjo heroes. Yeah. Roscoe's a great singer, think, great banjo. I think John Cohen also discovered Roscoe Holcomb, didn't he? Yes, like, yes. That is, first. Uh, yeah, he definitely, Roscoe is his, um, he, he toured a lot with Roscoe and brought him to recording sessions and touring around with the New Lost City Ramblers. So yeah, John and Roscoe were very close. So that banjo is still here in my, in this room with me. 
yeah, it's, it's actually meant to go to the Library of Congress. I was going to have it for the folk festival in April, but obviously COVID. Uh, right. So held on to it and I'm still holding on to it. I'm not complaining, but it's still here. <laughs> You're going to keep it captive as long as you can. Huh? Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> So on Cinnamon Tree, it's a lot of you and another fiddler recording along with you. On the new recordings, is it also the duo again, or mainly you solo, or how do you how do you prefer to approach recording or performing the music? Yeah, so the fiddler with me on Cinnamon Tree is Stephanie Coleman, who's a great, great old-time fiddler and singer, and uh, we do a lot of duo stuff. But for the this new thing that's coming out, there are duos, but Steph's not on that. It's actually with Jackson Lynch, who is... I've also been doing duo stuff with him, and he's a great guitar player, singer, uh, fiddler. There's mostly fiddle on that, on what's coming out, I think. So also, Jerron Paxton is going to be on that. So that's yeah, nice. very exciting and yeah, drawn plays some bones, some other things, and so he's yeah. also he's like a neighbor, right? Also living in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these people, okay. all these folks, um, are living in Brooklyn. Jaron's from out here in Los Angeles, so I've met him out here. Oh, before. really? Yeah, he. I think he li- he lives in Queens, um, right now. Excellent. Well, I really look forward to hearing those recordings. Do you tend to prefer being more of like a solo player or do you envision ever being in like a fuller ensemble? I've seen some videos of you with like a full band with drum kit and everything. Do you, oh, yeah. do you have like a maybe a vision for how you want to present the music in the future or are you content to be more of a solo performer? I definitely enjoy playing solo, but it is much more fun to play in a duo or with other people. I I specifically do like to play with one other person or just in a duo because I feel like, I mean, it's definitely, it's it's so hard to play in a band and to be listening to everybody and, you know, Mm -hmm. working with everyone. But that is also a a great experience too. But I do like playing in a duo because you can really focus on what the other person is doing and you can really like, you know, play a kind of call and response with their playing, which, yeah, I think that's super dope. But um, I, I also like playing solo. Obviously, it's better to have somebody else up on stage with you that you can kind of talk to the audience with. But solo is great too because there's so many solo banjo tunes that work best as solo banjo tunes and that's a pretty big chunk of what I play so I could see I I think about um, being in a band and what that would be like and I think about what I have to contribute to like a full band ensemble situation yeah how that would work but I yeah I've definitely done some stuff like that Um, but I I don't have like a current band or ensemble that I'm playing in. 
Okay. The future's open. You're yeah, you're, yeah, uh, totally. I, I continue with, exploring. I played with a couple of there. We had a little band uh, a couple years ago that was just some uh, old time musicians around Brooklyn, but that has kind of petered out a little bit. But yeah, I think it's super dope. But duo and solo is definitely something I resonate more with. I think. Yeah, and that's kind of the heart of the tradition as well as that kind of need any communication between a couple players. Yeah, mm-hmm, totally. Do you play anything else other than banjo? I do. Yeah. Right now, I play guitar and banjo but i've been through quite a few instruments um but yeah it's always ended up i mean i played fiddle for a pretty long time but i was not good at that but and i also played accordion for a while too which is obviously a very tricky instrument to learn but right now i'm actually getting back into guitar because i've been liking singing with guitar which has been super fun and it's also very useful for all things so gotten back into that i I actually bought a guitar so i'm happy about that i had a guitar before it was pretty crappy so now i have one that you know stays in tune so that's more enjoyable to play and yeah that's good Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this and this guitar was probably owned by bob dylan and passed (laughs) no It, it's, it's a cool guitar, though. It's actually it's an arch top. It's similar to Dave Rawlings guitar, if you yeah, know sure. what I'm talking about. But it's it's one yeah. side up. It's an Epiphone like his, but not as um, uh, expensive and exclusive as that super cool guitar. I've always liked the sound of arch tops. So. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, and the way Dave Rawlings, the way he pulls tone and, and notes out of his is pretty amazing. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, he's a magician. I love your version of, was it Dream a Highway back to you? Or did you do yeah. that? Too? Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah. Uh, the video, yeah, the video that's out now, I have a quite a few lyrical mistakes, but one of my favorite tunes and yeah, it's a great song. Yeah. Yeah. They're, awesome. they're up there and my favorite musicians on earth right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, my too. Other than the album, is there anything you want to talk about or any plugs for our listeners? Yeah. Let me see. Hold on. Okay, so on my website, I do have a list of upcoming events, and people can check that out. Yeah, we'll we'll point people towards your website, and I'm glad to hear you're staying busy, uh, even virtually. You're you're keeping yourself occupied with music. So Things have definitely to, picked up this month, but um, yeah, it's been mostly kind of workshops and teaching stuff for the past few months. But um, yeah, I'm excited that things have taken a turn here. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a delight to talk to you, and I'm excited to meet you, and I'm very excited to see your set at Blue Ox and uh, to get everybody else uh, acquainted with you and your and your skills. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to believe I'm going to be going all the way out there. I'm, I'm so excited. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, and my website is norabrownmusic.com for people. Great. Well, thank you very much, Nora. It was really a pleasure chatting with you and can't wait to meet you in person and hear you play at the Blue Ox Festival in August. And for people listening, you are going to be uh, performing on the main stage on Saturday, August 21st at the festival. I'm so excited. Yep. So excited. All thank right. You so take much. care. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to this uh, episode of the Road to Blue Ox podcast. Nate and I love having you here and we love virtually interacting with you even if it is a passive interaction we want to thank also Nora Brown for calling us from Brooklyn and chatting with us about where she comes from musically much thanks to our sponsors as well Deer and Banjo again keep your ears and eyes peeled for information about the Banjo giveaway this year Uh, Summit Brewing Tattersall Distillery Bouldersheim Winery Milk and Honey Cider 
amongst others that help make this great festival happen. Thank you. Make sure you be kind to everybody. Check out uh, helpthegrams.com and give a little boost to that GoFundMe for Max Graham's family. Yeah, we love you. And we'll see you all in the pines. Wake up. Thank you.